0: I'm gonna miss that little uh, song. Speaks in this one, uh, but that's been a lot of fun. Like I said, for those of you joining us online, we're so glad to have you worshiping with us today. And for those of you that made it to church and you maybe had to fight the Iron Man to get here, uh, you are the true champions and, uh, and winners in my mind. Uh, hey, anyone ever done an Iron Man here? Anyone ever, like, participated I know we had a couple people a couple people I know you know there's a few there's a few we are blessed with the presence of iron men and iron women in this place so anyone you've done like a marathon just just the race part. Maybe the Grand Fondo, just the bike part, you know, the, the swimmers. You know, I, I, it's an amazing thing uh, to watch and to be inspired by these athletes, uh, many of whom uh, have, you know, they've worked towards these performances, many for, for weeks and months and some have even given their whole lives. I read this week about a man uh, here in Penticton who's participated in every Canadian Ironman uh, here in Penticton except for the first one. So uh, that was started in 82 already. I think. So he's been going strong uh, for a long time. It's inspiring to watch other people do athletic performances, isn't it? It's, It's inspiring, the drive and the commitment and the passion. And we can stand on the sidelines and say, this is amazing for you to see you doing that. You know, I find it fascinating when I watch sports, like whether it's the Olympics or whatever it is, World Championships. Like, there's some athletes who are so dominant in their field, right? You just expect them to win. Like when we think about Michael Phelps or Usain Bolt or some of these athletes, they're so dominant, like they're expected to win. And but every race, there's like like eight people, you know, in the race, you know, in those in those 100 uh, meter races or you know whatever it is. And and I just think, what would it be like to be in a race and not expect to win it all, right? Like you're like I'm just here to fill a lane, you know. Like like Usain Bolt, he's gonna win, and I'm just here to be in the eighth lane, you know. That's kind of my role in life, right? Just imagine what that would would be like, right? Uh, I, I'm just here to compete against my personal best, you know. And you watch these athletes who've trained for so long, and and you know they, they would say I'm just happy to be here. Uh, I, I'm just happy to to make the finals. There's a huge debate uh, a couple of, uh, years ago. A Surrounding one of the Olympics, when uh, British journalist and broadcaster Pierce Morgan, and, uh, and he was asking whether anything other than first place should be celebrated. You know, he he was he was he touched us this this firestorm of reaction, both for and against. This is what Pierce Morgan he he wrote. He said, "I just can't get excited by silver silver and bronze medals. You win or you lose. Gold is all that matters." Can you imagine? That, that was his take, and uh, as a lot of people agreed with him. Uh, this was from a British uh, gymnastics coach, Scott Hamm. He said, I'm Max Whitlock's coach, and we've been working for over 15 years, six days and 30 hours a week, no holidays. We'll be happy to take the bronze medal, <laughs> right? You know, for some, the only way to play is to play to win, Right, their motto of their lives are phrases like "winning is everything." You know, if you're not the best, you're the rest. Right? Go for the gold. Keep your eye on the prize. Second place is the first loser. Right? Imagine that's the mentality. Who's like a, a "we're in it to win it" kind of person? You're like you're all in. First place. You know, whether it's racing or board games, family game night. You know, you're in it. You know who you are. All right? Now for other people, there's another prize to keep your eye on. something entirely different. It goes like this is: be your best, give it your all, and most of all, have fun. right? That's another way of looking at these kinds of things. You know, two very different barometers of success, isn't it? Winning versus trying winning versus participating the reality is that we celebrate what we value right And so I thought today we could have a little, I know it's Ironman weekend, I thought we could have a little race of our own. Uh, It's just uh, not the 24 kilometers that they're gonna be running today, but this is the three-foot race. The three-foot race. I need six volunteers to help me in my six-foot race. Anybody wanna participate today? Wes, thank you for volunteering in the front row (laughs) right here. And uh, anyone else, you wanna play? Okay, over here, send me someone right back there. Come on up. I need uh, four more volunteers for the the three-foot race race? Someone from this section over here? Anyone? Well, you did the Ironman, so you should be able to come. Come and participate with us in the the three-foot race. Someone from this section over here? Anybody? Anyone? Oh, yeah, right here. Okay, thank you. We'll take Kevin and Ethan. Come on up, both of you guys. The two of them are sitting there doing this. All right, so what do I got? One, two, three, four, five. One more. One more from this section over here. Uh, Who, 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 who? Uh, getting, okay, Jerrica, come on up, come on up. Yeah, you're good, come on up. No? Anybody? Where, where? Back there, okay, come on up. There we go, give them a hand. This is for the three-foot race. And, uh, and we have prizes. We have, we have Sour Patch Kids. So uh, for first prize, we have the Family Pack prize right there. For second place, we have, like, the, uh, the the dad pack. It's not as big as the family pack right there. And uh, for third place, we have just the the individual pack. Okay, so there we go. We have six contestants. One, two, three, four, five, six. All right. So this is called the three-meter race. And so in a moment, I'm going to give you all a fruit by the foot. And what you're going to do is you're going to unroll that fruit by the foot. Try not to tear it. Uh, there we go. There we go. So... Get that fruit by the foot. You're gonna unroll it. You're gonna get it, and you're gonna put it in your mouth, and what you gotta do is put your hands in the air, and you gotta slurp that three meters of, of uh, fruit by the foot all up in your mouth. First person to eat the whole three meters, or three feet, without using their hands, wins, okay? Yeah, so you gotta unroll it there. There's a piece of, Kevin's never seen a fruit by the foot before. This is how other people eat fruit. So all right. Nutritional value you know, whatever. Okay. <laughs> all right, so yeah, so unroll it, peel that little piece of wax paper off there, whatever it is, and then when you're ready, we'll, we'll get you all in the starting blocks together. Okay, you guys are ready? So, on the count of, I'll give you, okay, put it in your mouth, put your hands in the air, on your mark, get set, go! First prize. Second place, over here. You're doing good, Kevin. Third prize, all right, over here. All right, let's hear it for them. Congratulations, fourth place. Fifth place. Come on, let's hear it for Kevin. You can do it, you can do it. Yeah! All right. congratulations. In third place over here, there we go. In second place over here in the U.S. In first place over here, podium finishers. Congratulations, you gave it your best, you had fun, and you got fruit by the foot. Go have a seat this morning. The three-meter race at Bethel Church. Who thinks that should be an annual event? Three-meter race. In life, we celebrate what we value, don't we? And so I want to ask you this question. What are you celebrating in your life? We're in this middle of this Juicy Fruit series, and over the summer we've been looking at something that the Bible describes as nine characteristics or nine fruits that the Holy Spirit produces in our life. These are the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work. And so what does that have to do with juicy fruit? Well, I don't really know. I just thought it would be fun. That would be fun. I just wanted to have fun in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord. We sang that this morning, and uh, fruit roll ups too. But Galatians chapter five says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. And so what we've been talking about throughout the summer is that it's not about trying harder or doing better at becoming a better person. Uh, it's not about working harder. Uh, and What we've really seen is not even humanly possible for us to produce this kind of fruit, right? How many know you can't just stand here and just be like willing it into existence in your life? The Bible says that this is the fruit of the spirit Working us, This is something the Holy Spirit produces in us. How many know that there's always an outward expression of God's inward working? There's always an outward expression of God's inward working. When God's out working us and doing fresh things in us, we will see an outward transformation of some sort. And so Paul encourages us in Galatians 5, he says, since we're living by the Spirit, let's follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every way of our lives touched on this last week we kind of said well what's leading me in this moment what's leading me in this moment that I'm in that's a good question to ask ourselves when we're making decisions and when we're facing difficulty or we're feeling emotional what's leading me in this moment is it my flesh the Bible talks about the flesh being there, our personal desires and selfish ambitions. what is leading me in this moment is it my flesh some of us are led by our hurts, our past wounds, and our, our, uh, our disappointments, and, and they have control. They're leading us down the road future uh, in our life. For some of us, it's the crowds. We're being influenced by what everyone else is doing around me. The question is, what's leading me in, in this moment? Is it the Holy Spirit leading me and guiding me in this moment? You know, as I was thinking about this Ironman race and everyone was telling me how amazing it was gonna be and it's great to have it back in Penticton, I think. I wasn't sure what to do. You know what I actually did? I came last night, we have two cars and so I I parked one here at the church and this morning I parked on the other side of Main Street and walked across. So I have a car on both sides of Main Street. (laughs) So I just wasn't sure what to expect today. But as I was thinking about this, and I was contemplating the fruit of the Spirit, I was thinking somehow, sometimes there's different barometers. What are the different barometers we measure the success of our life with, right? Some of the athletes today are in it to win it. Uh, others are just there to do their best and to beat their personal record, or, or maybe just to even finish. And, uh, and so I was thinking today, what does a barometer determine if we're winning in our walk with God? I mean, you know, the question is, what makes a good Christian? What makes a good Christian? Is it someone who attends church regularly, and they get here early, and they're sitting on the front row of the, okay, we got one here and one there. Okay, you know, is that what makes it a good Christian? Maybe it's the person who prays long and eloquently. You know, is that what makes a good christian successful maybe someone who reads scripture daily and and they're always blogging their inspirational insights right maybe those are the good christians you know or maybe it's the people who just seem to effortlessly you know make good decisions and execute daily routines flawlessly without failure you know what what is it that is successful for the christian life i mean those are all great things but what is really the barometer for our spiritual life is it perfection is it trying, just participating? You know, we just have the question is, if we celebrate what we value, I thought we should look at what barometer does Jesus use and what does, what does he celebrate? What does Jesus celebrate? That's the question I want to talk about this morning. If you turn to me to Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25, and Jesus is using a parable And if you're new to church, a parable is just like a simple story that Jesus often used to illustrate kingdom principles and spiritual dynamics in a way that we would understand in simple terms, uh, to give expression to some thoughts. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, Jesus is describing heaven and the kingdom of God. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. So what do we know about this master, first off? First off, we can see that the master knew his servants intimately, He knew their personalities, he knew their maturity level, he knew their skill and ability and experience, and he had personal familiarity with them and their abilities. It says that he entrusted to them something that might be a challenge, something that might be challenging to them, but a challenge that he knew they could rise to. He entrusted this to them. Verse 16, let's continue. Says the first servant came and said, Master, while you were gone, I went to work. I went to invest what you gave me. I took the five that you gave me, and here's your five back. And in addition, here are five more that I earned while you've been away. You know, by many definitions, he'd won. He doubled the money and he'd out-earned the revenue of everyone else. This was a successful servant in many ways. And so this is what uh, Jesus has the master tell him in verse 21, the master is full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Well, now it comes time for the second servant, and he comes, and he walks onto the stage, and he says, you know what, Master, although my revenues were a little bit less than the guy before me, I also doubled what you gave me, and so here's your two bags of silver, and here's two more to go with them, and he receives the same encouraging response as the first servant in verse 23. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So what is Jesus celebrating in this parable? He doesn't say, well done, my good and successful servant. Right? He doesn't say, well done, good and productive servant. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Here's something I want to propose to you. Something that we might not like. We, we work hard, I know, but, but here's the thing. The success... What didn't belong to the servant? The success didn't belong to the servant. It belonged to the master. And I'll tell you why I think that. Because the master had set them up for success. The master was the one who trained them, who had equipped them, who had seen their abilities and had entrusted to them in according to their abilities, and because of that, I would propose to you that the outcome wasn't really theirs, but it was really the master's. The glory wasn't theirs. They had simply done what the master had trained and equipped and released them to do. Think about that for a moment. You know, some people need to be reminded today that the success is not yours and the glory's not yours. But here's the inverse to that. That means that the battle is not yours, and the outcome is not yours. The heaviness that you're carrying is not yours to carry. It's the masters who has prepared you and trained you and equipped you and released you and according to your abilities. Today I want you to know the battle is the Lord's and the outcome is the Lord's. Some of you have been carrying this weight on your shoulders wondering how am I gonna make it through, and I want you to see today uh, that the success of your situation belongs to the Lord. All the Lord is asking of you is the thing that he celebrates in these two servants. Not their success, but their faithfulness. Will you be faithful to Jesus? See, success to Jesus isn't what we produce with our hands, but what's produced in our hearts. Success to Jesus isn't what we produce in our hands, but what is produced in our hearts. Faithfulness here, in this parable, like in Galatians 5, when we talk about the, the fruit of the Spirit, is from the Greek word pistis. And pistis is used both to describe faith and faithfulness. Faithfulness and faith go together. We define faithfulness as dependability, trustworthiness. It's like this unwavering, constant reliability. That's how we describe faithfulness, right? But faithfulness is tied To faith, this word pistis has with it this idea of conviction of the truth, of belief. The reason that we are faithful or the core of faithfulness in this word pistis is that we have a faith that believes. Our faith is grounded in something that produces faithfulness on our own, in itself, right? The the cause for faithfulness is the faith. You know, it's not just blind following, it's just not commitment for commitment's sake. Faithfulness is saying I'm committed because I have faith in the thing that I'm believing in. How we live is a result of what we believe. So what is it that you have faith in that leads you to be faithful? For these servants, it was the faith in their master who had trained them, equipped them, and had released them to this cause. They had faith in his trustworthiness, in his fairness, in his character. They had faith in their master, and as a result, they were faithful. Now, Jesus uses contrast to show us this with the third servant and his response. In Matthew 25, verse 24, it says, Then the servant with one bag of silver came, and he said, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. Other, in other words, you're making me do all the dirty work. He said, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. See the, the contrast. The two had faith in their master and, and as a result. But this third man, it, he, although he was known intimately by his master, he didn't know his master in return. And because of that, he had a lack of faith. He had a skewed perception of who his master was. He had a skewed perception of what his master's plan was. He said, you don't cultivate anything. You make me go and do all the dirty work. So why should I go and earn you money? he had this view of his master that resulted in his unfaithfulness. How we live is a result of what we believe, isn't it? Now I don't know how familiar you are with the master this morning. Maybe you're here at church for the first time or the first time in a long time. Uh, maybe you're a regular, but I want to encourage you with some scriptures about the faithfulness of our master, our God. And so I have some verses I'm going to put up on the screen, Lamentations 3.22, and uh, this is what I thought we could read these together. So if you could throw that up there, and, uh, and this section, of, I, got, I got one for all of us, so don't worry. This section over here, would you read this verse out loud with me today? Lamentations 3.22, let's read it together. One, two, three. The faithful love of the Lord never ends his mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Isn't that good this morning? All right, this section over here, I got one for you. Second Thessalonians 3, let's read it together. One, two, three. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. This section over here, Hebrews 10, 23. Let's read it together. One, two, three. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. A section over here, 1 John, chapter 1. Let's read it together. One, two, three. One, two, three. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Now for those of you joining us online, I got one in Deuteronomy, maybe all of us in the house together and those of you in your living rooms watching, this, us read this all together, all of us together. One, two, three. He is the rock, his deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong how just and upright he is. Can we talk for a moment? Uh, Can we just praise God right now and just thank him for his faithfulness to our lives? Amen? Amen, yeah. We can't talk enough about the faithfulness of God. And it's the foundation for our faith. Now, faithfulness is a characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit that God wants to produce in us. Why? Because the Spirit is producing in us the character of God. He wants us to have faithfulness because God is faithful. It's core to his character. God's faithfulness is unwavering. It's not dependent on the receptivity of the recipient. How do we know sometimes that we treat people depending on how they respond to us, right? We act one way or another. It's not with God. You see, there's these three servants in this parable. One who questioned the character of his master only to have it in turn uh, question his own character. But God's faithfulness isn't dependent on the receptivity of of the recipient. 2 Timothy 2 says, If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny who he is. See, God doesn't just act faithfully faithfully to us depending on how we respond to him. He is faithful at all times. And his faithfulness is what fuels our faith and results in our faithfulness. When we know the master and we know his faithfulness towards us, we can trust him with our whole hearts and respond with faithfulness in kind. How we live is a result of what we believe. Now you can't produce faithfulness on your own, but when you begin to understand God's faithfulness to you, that's the role of the Holy Spirit is revealing to us the Father and it results in faithfulness to us. Now look at the response from both the first and the second servant. When they understood the character of their master in contrast to the third man who misunderstood his master's character. Going back to verse 16, what what did they do in response to their master's faithfulness to them? So the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money, and he earned five more. Then the servant with two bags also went to work and earned two more. Now, although they had different levels of ability, uh, even though they had different levels of responsibility, their faithful response was the same. They rolled up their sleeves and they went to work. They began to invest. You know how many wish that the results were as easy as this parable tells it? Like they, they went to work and they doubled their money, right? And it's just, like, just like that. But it says I, I love here, the, the first man it says he began to invest. Now how many know the faithfulness looks like investment. Now investment isn't always a one-shot deal that produces immediate results, is it? right? Investment that the master, uh, I know the master says here, I'm entrusting you for a while. I'm going on a long trip. Jesus is saying that we are entrusted in, 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 in for a while. And so we see here that investment isn't instant. Investment isn't about immediate gratification. It's not about quick results. He Began to invest, investment is ongoing repetition. He began to invest, he began to work. It's consistently and relentlessly putting in the effort. See, investment is about hope for the future. It's about looking ahead, knowing where you wanna go and working towards that goal, right? We talk about this idea of investment In, in our circles, we talk about compounding interest, right? It's about being in it for the long haul and continually trusting the process. Faithfulness is relentless repetition. I love Eugene Peterson, uh, the pastor and author, who said it's long obedience in the same direction. That's what faithfulness is in the kingdom of God, long obedience in the same direction. Uh, A few years ago, I knew a woman and. She attended our church and she had some really significant health issues. And there was a stage in her life where she had done a few weeks in a hospital and just really, you know, looking for answers, really struggling. And uh, and because of that, uh, these health challenges and these difficult days that she walked through, she had a real frustration with God. And I completely can understand that this, this frustration where she didn't feel like she was getting the answers or the the, prayer, the the response that she was hoping for. And because of that, she felt like, I just, I can't find an enemy to worship God or to praise him. I, I, I just can't, my, my heart is hurting. And in this moment, I, I, I just loved, you know, despite how she felt, this is what she said, though. Her faithfulness is, like, I don't feel it, but I know that I need to be faithful. And so what she did for a, an entire year, she would come to church and she would sit in church and she, she would kind of sit there. She didn't really participate in the worship service. She, you know, she, she can't just sing the, the, those songs and, and, you know, we, we might chastise her. And say, well, you should declare that over your life. You know, she just was not at the place of doing that. But what she says is I just came every week and I just sat in the presence of God. That's all I could bring myself to do. But over the course of that year she said God began to heal my heart. He began to heal my perspective. God began to minister to me where I was at. And as I faithfully put myself in God's presence, he faithfully came and he began to minister and speak to me. How do I know that that's faithfulness? Faithfulness isn't depending on how we feel. Faithfulness isn't perfection, but it's consistently showing up, consistently putting ourselves into the path and the presence of God. I hope that encourages you today. Uh, The high school I went to, we used to have a motto. This was the the high school motto. The motto was this, just be there. (laughs) Now that's pretty high standard, I know. I had to say. (laughs) But they had this motto, and they would just say, just be there. And basically what they're saying is, if you're here, you'll learn more than if you're not. But basically, they're saying if you're here consistently or the long run, you'll get to where you want to go. Right? If you just show up, I, I love this story in the New Testament about Jesus' disciple Peter. Now, we know that Peter, he's a fisherman. Jesus calls him off the water, and uh, and Jesus calls him into his group of disciples, and he begins to train him. And we know the story of Peter walking on water. Peter, you know, gets out of there, this, this impetuous guy gets out on the water and, and has one of the biggest fail moments of his life as he's sinking in the ocean. And, and we see here that uh, before Jesus' crucifixion, that Peter takes Jesus aside. You know, can you imagine, you know, you know Jesus, I just need to speak to you for a moment. I just want to correct you a little bit. You know, there's there's some things going on here, right? Peter goes, You're not gonna die, Jesus, because I'm here to defend you. That's what Peter, just imagine this guy right now. I, I love it. They get to the Garden of Gethsemane of Jesus being arrested, and Peter brandishes his sword and cuts off the man's ear, and Jesus is like, That's not what we're doing here, and has to heal the guy. Like, oh Peter, you're so embarrassing, right? <laughs> like We see that that Jesus is arrested and Peter denies him three times. We know all about Peter, right? This impetuous failure of a disciple. And yet we see that on the day of Pentecost, it ends up being Peter who's the spokesman for the disciples. We see actually that is Peter who is arrested as the leader of this movement of Christ's followers following Jesus' death and resurrection. In Acts 4, 13, uh, I love this. It talks about these rulers, uh, these religious leaders, and they have Peter in front of him, this impetuous failure of a disciple. Uh, and this is what they say. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. How did Peter end up here? How did Peter end up going from this impetuous, like you know, fisherman of uh, bumbling and stumbling through the training program, you know, this one who, who's always you know, taking the wrong you know steps at the wrong moment to coming to be this leading and representative uh, 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 of Jesus' new movement? How did he get there? He simply kept showing up. He faithfully showed up and stayed in Jesus' presence. The thing about this is that Jesus knew Peter intimately. He'd been there for all his winning moments. He'd been there for all his epic failures. But when it came time to entrust this movement into the hands of his disciples, he called Peter aside. And he said, Peter, you are the rock on whom I'm going to build my church. Not because you're perfect. Not even because you were the star pupil. (laughs) Because you faithfully showed up, you faithfully stayed in my presence. You know, Jesus could have picked the Pharisees. They were much flashier in their faith. Jesus could have picked the Sadducees. They were much more fluent in scripture. Jesus chose this faithful follower of his to lead this movement. See, faithfulness isn't perfection. Faithfulness looks like investment. Faithfulness looks like relentless repetition. Faithfulness looks like keeps showing up. Like I said, Eugene Peterson said, it's a long obedience in the same direction. That's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness looks like work a lot of the time. I love, as we started this, and I shared with you the, the story of that British bronze medalist, right? Uh, you know, As he stood on that podium, victorious, third place finisher in the world. He was happy with that, because it, he knew how much hard work and sacrifice and how much it didn't feel good to be faithful. It didn't feel good for 15 years, six days a week, five hours a day with no holidays. I want to know that we would love to stand in the podium of our lives, victorious over the challenges. But for every feel-good moment, there's hard decisions that need to be made. For every feel-good moment, there's shortcuts that have to be passed over. For every feel-good moment, there's easy way outs that need to be passed up. I remember sitting across from a young man that had been recently married, and as we were talking, it's just a newlywed, and him and his wife are having some challenges in their relationship. And she'd gone home for a few days to, to be at her parents' house. And I was sitting across from this young man, and, and he was telling me how much easier it would be to be single. He was telling me, you know, it would be so much easier. And he'd already kind of planned out something. You know what I would do if I was single? And he was kind of mapping it out in his mind. And I let him talk for a little bit. And I said, that's a great plan for a single person. But what about you? What is your vision for your marriage? Let's stop thinking about how easy it would be to be single. and Let's start saying, what would God challenge you to do? in your marriage that would produce fruitful results? Well, I saw them not too long ago, and it's been about 10 or 12 years since that day. They're like, I'm so thankful that you snapped me out of thinking like a single person, right? As I started to think about what faithfulness in my marriage looks like. We are so blessed now to have three children in this vibrant relationship. It was just an amazing time. For me in ministry, I remember my first church, I was the junior high and youth pastor, and they brought me into my first church to to pastor, and it was amazing. I had this big vision of what it would look like to do youth ministry at this church, and uh, for the first six months, only three kids showed up each week. Part of me wondered, like, why did they even hire me for three kids, right? That's... But the investment, but by the time we had finished our time in ministry there, there was a junior high school that had 300 students in it, and half of them came to our youth program every week. And when I would go to the school, they would all go, hey, Pastor Jeremy, we know you. You know, we we're going to see you this week, because it was not about what happened in that moment. Every week, I look out and go, this is not the dream. You know, I see the three kids, I'm like, I love you, but you're not the vision, right? But we continue to faithfully invest and faithfully pour into what God had called us to do and saw those results. Uh, Before this church, many of you know that I was leading a multi-site church. And a multi-site, basically we had our one big campus and then we were starting another location that we uh, uh, were starting. And we had all these plans and visions and uh, the most amazing thing happened. We were a week before our launch date and we didn't have a venue for our new church. We had some requests in, but we hadn't got responses back. And so we were a week to go, and we thought we were starting. We're starting in a week and a half from today, and we don't have a place to meet. And so we did what many churches in Africa do. (laughs) We met under a tree. We we just said, hey, we don't have a building, but we can still meet in this park. And so we met under the tree. We said, thank you, everyone, for coming to our first day of ministry uh, at this new site. We don't know where we're going to be next week, Right. But we had this faithful vision to do what God had called us to do, and out of that flourished a new campus location uh, that we led for the six years before coming here. That was what I was called to do. I wonder this morning what situations God is calling you to be faithful in. In what areas is God asking you to believe with faith? In what areas of your life is God saying, keep investing, keep showing up, keep being the hands and the feet of Jesus? That's a long obedience in the same direction. But as we read this passage, this is what Jesus says. This is the barometer that Jesus thinks is successful. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been successful? No, they were, but that's not the thing. He said, you've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities here's the thing about God the reward of faithfulness is more work the reward of faithfulness is more work being faithful with small things means that you get to be faithful with medium things be faithful medium that you get to be faithful it's not like you've arrived you just get more work I know when you empty the dishwasher for your kids, you're like, okay, now that you've done that, I've got something else for you to do, right? You're like, Jesus says, I've got more for you to do. Many of you have been faithful for years of ministry. Maybe you're here and you were here since the inception of Bethel Church almost 100 years ago. You've been faithful. Well, guess what? The reward of faithfulness is more work. That's why I told you one of my first Sundays, I don't want to ever hear someone say, I did my time. Because if you've done your time, congratulations, God's got something else for you to do. More work. Faithfulness is simply taking every opportunity to use all of our ability for the glory of God. One last verse I wanna share with you, Psalm 115, verse one. It's not to us, O Lord, and not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. I'm going to invite you to stand with me and we're going to worship God together. We're going to sing the song and then we're going to pray. And so God, I pray in this moment right now, whether we are discouraged because of the hardships that we're going, maybe we are in the middle of something and the, what we're seeing in front of us isn't the vision that we had. I pray, God, that you would give us faith again to continue to faithfully invest and to work towards the dreams and the purposes that you've given us. Lord, I pray, Lord, if we have accomplished our task, Lord, that maybe even here as a church, we've had some successful seasons, but as we head into this new one, God, the reward of faithfulness is more work. So I pray that you would bless us with the opportunity to do more work as your church here in this city and in this region. Lord, God, I pray for those that are tired and weary, God. Lord, as they are reflective on your goodness and your faithfulness, Lord, I pray that that would inspire new hope and fresh passion, fresh determination to be faithful in the season that lies ahead. Lord, I pray like my friend I shared about a few years ago. God, maybe we're in this place where our hearts are hurting. Maybe we're frustrated and even angry at you. I pray, God, that you would give us a determination to faithfully continue to come back to your presence, not to run from you, but to keep putting ourselves in the place where you can heal us. Oh God, we pray in Jesus' name.